FBI Director James Comey fired by President Trump. It came without warning. Just last week, Comey testifying about the FBI's investigation into Russia's meddling in the U.S. election, also about the agency's investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails. Hello and welcome to Politics, a podcast series that attempts to explain that meme you saw on your Facebook wall yesterday. My name is Tim Beck. I'm Tim Beck, and I'm is what I am. I'm Tim Beck <laughs> from a long absence. Uh, I actually said my own name incorrectly as the the first moment back on the podcast in about six weeks, so that's always a good start. Hello, Jeb. Hello. You know, the sad thing is this is the third one of these we've done. You know, we did two practice ones, and we just neither of us have gotten our names right at the time. How dare you? Don't don't put that out there. Um, <laughs> hey, look, there's a lot going on. I must apologize, Jeb, profusely to you and to anyone who's still listening to this podcast series first up. Um, f- for my absence, I've been a naughty boy. I've been doing other stuff. I got too busy. My apologies. But I'm back. Um, you did a wonderful episode without me. That's on the stream. You've probably already listened to that. But now, more stuff is going on. And by more stuff, <laughs> I mean we are way closer to impeachment proceedings than ever imagined. Um, do you want me to attempt to, to sort of summarize what's been happening the last 24 hours, Jeb? Yeah, I mean, like somebody's got to do it, and and I I've already kind of tried doing it and didn't do it well. So okay. like, it, not not in our uh, not in our like completely fictitious uh, trial runs other, of this podcast, but on another outlets. one, like somebody said, "Can you explain what's going on?" And it went and then failed. <laughs> the short version is uh, Donald Trump, who is currently under investigation um, for his campaign having collusion with Russia, has fired the director of the FBI, James Comey. There's no way you don't know that. (laughs) There's no way that you as a listener to this podcast don't have that information. Um, So, I mean, I think this genuinely took everyone off guard. This was... I've I've been um, in my comedy show that I'm touring around at the moment. I've been saying that, uh, you know, George W. Bush's The Bush Doctrine was basically, if it's not American, but but it is moving, shoot it. And Donald Trump's <laughs> MO to governing just seems to be keep him guessing. Like that is his whole governing strategy. And I stand by it. Every every new day, every new headline, it seems to just reinforce that. Because there doesn't seem to be a particularly intelligent way that this can play out. It's also um, been great online fodder because, I mean, p- everyone is making the Nixon comparison when he started firing everyone who was investigating him for Watergate. Um, this comes reasonably hot off the heels of uh, Sally Yates, who was the acting attorney general, um, who came forth to warn the White House about Michael Flynn's possible connections to Russia being fired. Uh, and people are also chucking uh, Preet Bharara in there as well, who was the prosecutor in New York, which um, some journalists have speculated would be kind of the perfect centre to be gathering the intelligence and charges for a... Um, a legal charge against the Trump administration for these Russia investigations. So Comey is gone now. He had no prior warning whatsoever. He found out because it was being broadcast apparently on a television screen literally behind him while he was talking to law law enforcement officials in Los Angeles. The whole thing is batshit. Which which is like so just immeasurably kind of cruel to do to somebody. But by the same token, I, I, I can appreciate and I hope I hope most people appreciate the fact that you really could have started playing the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme right then, right? 100%. He thought it was a gag. 
There, he's been quoted by journalists saying, or his staff have passed on, because I don't think he's made a comment since, um, that they he thought it was a prank that his staff were playing on him. Like, <laughs> firstly, I like the idea that in the FBI, there is a, a an appreciation of practical jokes to the point where the director thought it was likely that someone had got on Final Cut and edited some video together with a little tag at the bottom saying, breaking, FBI director fired, just to play during appearances <laughs> that he has in LA. That tickles me. But just, it, it goes to show, um, it's this thing of, when people act so unpredictably and so crazy, like, just so insanely, um, it does make it easier for their acolytes to pretend that it's this four-dimensional chess game going on because there is no rhyme or reason to it. Because this isn't just a bad, like, overarching policy thing, but just that example that they didn't tell him in any kind of official way shows the organizational chaos that's going on. They don't have a good like chain of command or any kind of structure as to how they get their communications out, which seems like a basic thing, but it's important to know that these guys are fucking up at every scale that you can think of. Yeah. Well, they didn't have any messaging for it either. So after it was done, Trump, because you know, he works three hours a day and he watches seven hours of television to figure out, you know, to, to, to learn how to think about what he did when he was working for three hours that day, he was watching TV and there, there wasn't anyone defending him. And so the White House scrambled its mouthpieces at like 9 p.m. And which is how you wind up with Sean Spicer, uh, you know, rushing out to kind of brief everybody and then trying to avoid journalists on the way out. So he's hiding in the bushes on the White House grounds. <laughs> for like five minutes and that you know like and then finally kind of admitting okay well I'll, I'll i'll answer your questions but you can't use cameras and you have to turn the lights off this is going to be audio only and you know just the, the like all the it's really cliche to say it but like all the veepness of it is kind of delightful in its own way it would be um even more funny if it wasn't quite so serious for you guys this is like a serious potential charge of something that smells a lot like treason you know from your president that's there hasn't this hasn't happened before would i be right in saying that like i know people keep saying it's very nixonian because he's just fired um a whole bunch of people have been investigating him but this is this is really without any historical precedent right of that would be uh nixon uh dispatching his friend anna cheneau uh, to sabotage the Vietnam peace talks by basically getting the South Vietnamese not to agree to anything. And since Hubert Humphrey, who Nixon was running against in 68, was basically kind of running on, well, we're going to fix Vietnam, when that fell apart, uh, the idea that you know Hubert Humphrey uh, was, was going to be an effective executive and deal maker kind of fell apart. And he loses by a tiny, tiny margin. But And Nixon had been campaigning on, I have a secret plan to win in Vietnam, kind of like... Uh, Trump did where you know I can't tell you what it is because then it will tell our enemies uh, um, what's coming but I can win so by sabotaging Humphrey uh, you know this is you know that would clearly have been a treasonous act this is this was the the officially sanctioned act of the US government to try to broker a peace and you had a private citizen sabotaging it but and then if you want to get into it uh, some people are are firmly convinced that uh, the the Reagan administration the Reagan campaign used emissaries to kind of bargain with the uh, um, the Iranian revolutionaries saying, please do not release the hostages um, while Carter is still president. Really? Uh, because then, I haven't heard that yeah, conspiracy theory. That's an interesting one. 
Yeah, it doesn't have anywhere near the the actual like the 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 Anna Chano thing that happened. That is documented. Uh, mm-hmm. This is more one of those like there were people kind of like there there were Carter Page like figures and Paul Manafort like figures who were making trips to the Middle East, you know, in, in times proximal to these events and for purposes that really kind of didn't add up but they they're not concrete enough where you can say yes these guys were absolutely talking to mullahs and saying you'll get a better deal from us than you will from carter and so just drawing on those those two presidential examples as we can see results may vary right because you had um reagan and i mean the whole the contra deal i that always blows my mind when i read up on that um the fact that reagan never really got his you know comeuppance on that but um, obviously Nixon got taken down by his dirty tricks later under a completely different um, set of circumstances. So, I mean, like we're in the first uh, 150 days now. I guess you can't say first 100 days anymore. But it's really fucking early for something this hot to be off the ground. Because the first 100 days is supposed to be a little bit of a honeymoon period where everyone rallies together after the election and um, supports the president because he's in charge of the country now. But, like, it's it's interesting to watch how republicans are trying to do the mental gymnastics to stay in his corner now and um Mm -hmm. like just going back to the messaging thing uh something that people have probably already read but the reason that they gave for firing comey was his handling of the hillary clinton email um saga which is (laughs) according to most people not everyone but you know most people in the know was a factor that contributed enough that you could say that's what got trump into the white house um i I, I never like saying like it's a direct attribution that one equals the other because the fact of the matter is her case was so weak to the american public that that was what allowed something like comey's letter in the final days of the election to be able to get trump over the line but it does seem like statistically like looking at the votes that it was a big enough factor that it actually swung the vote towards getting Trump in. That very act is the thing that they are now claiming is the reason why they're firing or have fired James Comey. Like the, which is sort of... is. Do you see that as politically a clever thing, Jeb? Because the timing on this is so amazingly terrible this is right when the russia investigations um the the senate hearings and so forth are happening and we're all able to watch them because these are the ones that are happening in the open and being filmed on c-span but by claiming this reason that the democrats would have claimed to fire comey is that smart or is it just crazy well, I, first off, I just admire the sheer balls of it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Fuck you, yeah. You're, you're just a real piece of shit if you're going there. Because it's kind of like, you know, go on, go on. Try and tell me I didn't just do you a favor. Come on. You know, like, it's it's trying to back the Democrats into a corner. Um, I don't think it's, it's going to work. Uh, and I don't think it is working because you can see like Comey. I mean, so the, the timeline on this is like a week ago. The Trump administration and, and probably Trump or Sessions went to um, uh, the the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who had just been confirmed, and said, "We need you to come up with a case against Comey." And then you look at like the date stamps on all the documents that were submitted, you know, during his his firing process yesterday, and they're all dated the same day. And it looks very much like somebody went, "Go cook me an excuse, so I can act on it instantly." And about a week ago is when Comey went to the White House and said. I need more resources in the Justice Department for 
uh, th- this Russia investigation, and then subpoenas were issued um, day before yesterday. So, like, just the 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 whole like these triggering moments come so proximal to the firing that mm. I, I don't think really many people are going to be fooled in, into thinking like, oh yeah, clearly. Clearly, it was Comey's, uh, um, you know, unethical behavior. More to the point, right? Like, there, th- this is like such an obvious bit of salesmanship. Like, well, you know, he was very disrespectful to the Democratic candidate, and he queered the purity of the turf. Um, you could, if you wanted to fire him for cause, he perjured himself last week, probably accidentally. But in his testimony, he was claiming that um, was this with the hundreds and thousands of emails claimed that they found on yeah. Homer Aberdeen's laptop. Which I thought, yeah. I actually got confused because when this news story broke that Comey had been fired, I think I was reading somewhere that they were claiming that was the reason they were firing him, that it was the exaggerated number of emails that they had found um, relating to the whole Clinton email saga on um, Homer Aberdeen's uh, laptop. But apparently that they never claimed that as the reason. Yeah, and... and- you would have had something that was fresh in people's memory and you could have, it would have, you you would have had still had the same kind of sales pitch of like, well, we're vindicating our opposition because what this guy did was shameful, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, But you just say like, Hey, listen, you know, if this guy, this is the most important testimony he has to give to Congress, it's the most serious thing that he's doing right now. And if he can't get the basic facts straight about something that people claim uh, swung the election, we don't want him administering facts and in investigations because clearly he's not in command of the data. And you could have made kind of a technocratic pitch for that. But instead, it's like this idea that, hey, we're all doing you a favor. <laughs> yeah, like, based on something that happened last year that we haven't made do, yeah. we haven't made beep about so far. Well, it's, and, it's, and you know, then there's all the file video of Trump going, you know, after he's elected, blowing kisses to James Comey and going, he may be more <laughs> famous than I am now. And like, if you were displeased by this guy's conduct, I mean, maybe don't make out with him, like air make out with him in public. Oh, it, uh, like you know, almost actually make up with him. I looked this up specifically and I've got the um, article from Reuters. It was uh, January 22nd. So this is two days after the inauguration. Uh, and the, the headline is FBI Director Comey, who angered Democrats, gets hug from Trump. <laughs> so he's in, um, I'm not sure what bit of the White House, uh, giving a speech thanking the law enforcement officials for a successful inauguration where Trump didn't get assassinated, essentially. Great job, everyone. And, uh, and he goes up and gives James Comey a big hug. So it's like both figuratively and literally embraced the man for um, as long as up until this TikTok of this week where um and, and let's get into this bit now so this the fact the story that's kind of leaked out over the last 24 hours or even just since i went to sleep the last 12 hours is that comey was asking for more funding for the investigation into the russian collusion claims and the doj came out um their spokesperson made a statement that that absolutely was not the case but then um I think uh, the New York Times, maybe Reuters, had gotten some congressional contacts to confirm that actually it was the case. So now it seems like there's a situation where that did happen, that James Comey was requesting additional funding for this investigation, and yet the DOJ have either lied about it, which seems unlikely to me, or they didn't know about that request. Does that seem weird, or is that just something that they wouldn't necessarily know? 
man, I, I don't remember which spokesperson it was who said it, but um, it certainly wouldn't be difficult to get somebody to lie about it. Um, and I don't know why. I mean, if Comey was requesting funding, he would have probably had to run it by somebody for sheer logistical purposes. Like we're going to need to, you know, we need X number of wiretaps and people to manage the data that comes in from that. We're going to need these analysts and just the, the sheer like logistical uh, obligations he would have to to reckon with and plan for. And he wouldn't come up with these on his own. You know, there would be somebody in uh, in the FBI whose job is to do these kind of actuarial and, and personnel yeah. things. And I think it, it's just a matter of time until we wind up talking to that person who said, yeah, like we had to crunch the numbers and this is what we wanted. Like, I don't, you know, I it, it just seems, especially for a guy like Comey, whose entire behavior with the the Hillary Clinton and Anthony Weiner email seemed precipitated on covering his ass uh, and 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 sort of like immunizing it against criticism from Republicans. I can't imagine his going into you know the scene of his potential execution without telling anyone what he was doing. Right? Not like yeah. he's going to literally disappear, but you know, like just just know that when I left here, I was going to do this. <laughs> Hey, I've got a question as well, because like these investigators and people who um, sort of get kind of close to this investigation keep getting fired or leave. Um, can you talk me through what happened with Jason Chaffetz? Where the fuck is Jason Chaffetz? Uh, <laughs> so he has a uh, he has a, a pre-existing condition for his foot. Um, and he needed, and, and it's true. Like uh, McKay Coppins has has profiled him um, a couple times, and he did another one recently in the Atlantic. I want to say within the last maybe six weeks. Right, and sorry, and, Jason Chaffetz is is the um, congressional representative from Utah, and he was yes. was he like head of one of these investigation committees? Yes. Yeah, so he he okay. So um, Chaffetz is a, is an interesting guy. Like he. Uh, um, uh, he started out. Uh, was born a Democrat, and then uh, and and sort of raised a Democrat, and converted to hardline Republican in his early twenties, and was like a uh, uh, an, ex- an executive with New Skin, and so he sold New Skin, um, and then he be- he went to Congress, and he's basically your your kind of boilerplate wingnut, and um, his his whole deal was. I'm going to investigate Hillary Clinton to the ends of the earth. I mean, just that that from like from hell's heart, I stab at the kind of Ahab like <laughs> investigation. And then, of course, Trump gets elected and everybody said, you know, uh, Chairman Chaffetz, uh, like, you know, the, uh, is your House panel going to be investigating Trump? He's like, well, I'm going to see if he does anything. <laughs> so he he basically he had this this legitimate medical condition and he said i'm, I'm going to go back to utah and uh, and get that fixed and also i think i'm, I'm not going to run again because uh we're my wife and i are about to be empty nesters and i want to have the last uh you know year or two with my daughters before uh they go off to college and it was just the perfect excuse if you're fucked and you know you're fucked and you're going to get a serious challenger and you may lose to them and you want to just disappear for a couple of years and reemerge to be, let's say, a Republican candidate for president in 2020 because the guy is just nakedly avaricious. Right. So you think that he is basically going into more of a damage control situation rather than he's found something out as being chair of the House Oversight Committee during the course of these investigations that is so explosive that he's had to get the fuck out of Dodge because he knows that this will not end well. 
that, I mean, that's certainly possible. I mean, he might know, you know, there might be a cache of documents that he has seen that haven't leaked. And the easiest way to avoid that whole problem of like, are you the Republican who betrayed Donald Trump? Because, um, you know, he's not very, Trump is not very popular in Utah. Uh, the one uh, uh, conservative group that did not break for him, uh, like, you know, and pretty much standard kind of Republican voting pattern was Mormons. They had no use for for Donald Trump, and so he he vastly underperformed with them. So, um, you know, he, he's he's kind of fucked either way. Like if he if he is the head of the committee that releases this information that sabotages the president, everyone who voted for Trump is going to hate him. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't go far enough, everyone you know, every Mormon who who went like I think this this Trump guy is uncouth and disgusting is going to hate him for not going through the door. The easiest thing to do is just remove himself from the equation entirely and it yeah. becomes somebody else's problem. And because it hasn't progressed far enough that, I mean, I, th- I would imagine that it hasn't progressed far enough that he would have been obliged to make a decision to come forward and say, we have this evidence. It's still kind of like probably amorphous enough that he can bail out and say, hey, I was I was not there when we'd reached that inflection point. Yeah, and then I was wait over and here see- looking after my foot and daughter. Yeah. And then and then wait and see, you know, which way the, the tide of public opinion goes and then come out as saying, like, well, I was for that all along. I mean, the man is just like not only does he look like a weasel, he is just a king weasel. He's not Rubio levels of weasel because he actually seems to have a little bit more of a like in an, an avidity and, and commitment to his weaselness, whereas like Rubio just sort of slouches like a, a jellyfish <laughs> through this whole process. But I mean, they're on the same kind of plane of, of just moral, complete nullity. Hey, getting back to what's happening now as well. Like, um, the, so Trump has cited Jeff Sessions as giving him this advice as Attorney General to fire James Comey in probably the most hilarious firing letter <laughs> that anyone's ever seen, which is five right. sentences long, <laughs> and one of them is "Thank you very much for telling me three times I'm not under investigation." It's just, it's, it reminded me heaps of, you know, when you see um, like a little kid who's about six years old and they've just learned how to write and they bring a note home from school and it says, yes. dear daddy, I don't have to go to school tomorrow because there's no school tomorrow. Signed, the school. It looked like that to me. <laughs> like it was just, you can't just put something down on paper and then have that entered into the record. But the crazy thing is, like, when you are president, you almost can get away with that shit. But it was just so naked and insane. And I've been hearing um, a lot of legal experts being brought into the uh, news panel shows over the last 24 hours just going, there's no way in hell that anyone who was even tangentially connected to an investigation would be told they're not under investigation by an investigator. Like, it doesn't... You, you would never receive that kind of assurance, especially when you're the president and the investigation is into your campaign and its ties with the foreign country. Like, it just wouldn't happen like that. But anyway, getting back to my original point, this supposedly <laughs> came from Jeff Sessions, a man who had recused himself from the investigations of the Trump-Russia ties out loud. And so it is kind of an interesting technicality because I guess technically he hasn't meddled in the investigation he's like got up on a really tall building and taken a shit on the investigation from on high so he wasn't on the same level as them at the time but he has disrupted seems like you know too weak a word to use but he has sort of decimated 
or put this huge roadblock up in front of the investigation. And I wonder if there's any recourse possible for an attorney general when they act like that, when they go back on their word. Uh, Short of impeachment or being fired, I can't. uh, And who even does that? Like who impeaches the AG? Yeah, I'd, like that's what's funny is is I like immediately said that and I went like, is that even the mechanism? <laughs> yeah, you know, well, is it? I don't think uh, I, I can't fault you for bringing this up in the moment and you not knowing the mechanism because this shit generally doesn't come up. <laughs> yeah, you you would impeach them. John Mitchell resigned, uh, which is just one thing I wanted to check because I know he was charged, uh, but I couldn't remember if the charges had come in uh, before he had left the office, in which case they, uh, that would have been, you know, because impeaching is just basically an indictment. It's not the, the actual removal process. That's conviction. Right. Um, John Mitchell was the guy under Nixon. Yeah. Yeah. He was the guy who, um, he controlled a slush fund, uh, for the committee to reelect the president. And he's the guy who got the, uh, the midnight phone call from, um, Carl Bernstein saying, you know, we're going to run this story saying that, uh, John Mitchell was the head of the fund. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mitchell's just going, Jesus, Jesus, I'll tell you what, you print that, you can tell Katie Graham she's going to get her tit caught in a big fat ringer, um, you know, and actually quote. Yes. And, and so the, the Washington Post couldn't pr- uh, print it as tit. But, yeah, she's going to get her, you know, her tit caught in the big ringer. Uh, and when we're done, when you're done, we're going to do a story on you. <laughs> oh, damn. I mean. Yeah, I mean, bring bring back the real crooks. I mean, none of this fucking stooge Keystone cops routine. I you know, I want the honest to god criminals. My big concern about this whole thing, Jeb, is that if Trump goes down with this, then I think it's quite likely that um, Pence has to as well because the timeline on when they found out about and then when they fired Michael Flynn doesn't make any sense, um, and with Sally Yates going in there and warning them, and also the story that came out last week that Obama warned Trump in that one like meeting that they had at the White House not to hire Michael Flynn. They had been warned about this guy several times. They got him in. Um, Pence seemed to lie to the nation when he was going on the news saying when they knew certain information about Michael Flynn. So it looks like they'll both get taken out. And if that happens, then Paul Ryan's in charge. And it's so funny because I started like Googling the um, uh, order of uh, succession. Yeah, that's right. And it's incredibly quick to populate now in Google because I think I'm not the only one who has had this thought. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've been watching, uh, if you've been reading Louise Mensch in her uh, her ADD fueled um, paranoid fugue states, but she's convinced that we will have President Orrin Hatch uh, oh, very soon. Whoa. And then... But for the good of the country, he should appoint Hillary Clinton his VP and then resign. And then that's how we're going to get President Clinton. Between uh, her and Sarah Kenzior, I just, uh, um, I, I'm so excited to see so many people being fed so much paranoid misinformation and then going like, hey, 20% of it turned out to be true. What a genius. <laughs> it sounds like a real Mills and Bone kind of a read. Like Wait, just what? no substance. It sounds like a Mills and Boone novel, but just for politics, just like real cheap paper trash. You're gonna have to translate that to me, uh, for me into American. Oh, okay. Is, is, who are Mills and Mil- Boone? Mills and Boone are a uh, publisher of very low rent, uh, cheaply and quickly produced romance novels. Ah, so just like stuff that quite... you buy at like a train station of old. So, so like can... sub 
sub Barbara Cartland or kind of on that level? I don't know who Barbara Cartland is. You know I can't read, Jeb, and I'd appreciate it if you stopped bringing it up and putting me in these holes. Um, so what, I mean, no one actually knows, but what will happen next? Who? I don't even know who's in charge of the FBI anymore, Jeb. <laughs> what the fuck? It's, I've been trying um, to Google it to find out. Uh, yeah, I'm, I think I said Rod Rosenstein earlier, and, and that's incorrect, I think. So he's the, uh, the assistant attorney general. I can't... Um, the who's the the FBI deputy? I had a, his name written down earlier. You kept, don't make me look up things live, man. This is terrible. Oh, do it. No, it's fine. <laughs> it shows that we're human. Uh, is it Andrew McAbe? Yes, yes. Thank you. Um, and so you know he's been like it, that's what's always frustrating about these things is like so many of the, the the when you get the new personnel, everybody kind of has to rush to figure out who someone is, and there yeah. are very few people who've profiled them. And so I've seen now within 12 hours uh you know explainers going well we don't know if we can trust him and then other ones going this guy is a true blue career civil servant who can be relied on to to call it down the middle Um, but so so was comey right like comey had this impeccable history where he had called a bunch of um bush administration officials to task over the surveillance stuff that was coming out in the wake of 9-11 and then him kind of attacking hillary clinton so obviously um, it was a very messy ordeal and a lot of people think he did it wrongly and I tend to agree with them but it seems like Comey was a dude who was pretty up and down and non-partisan well and, and I think what fucked him there was being too well aware of how the political currents blow right yeah, so Comey yeah. made the same miscalculation that everybody did that it's like three points is the basement for what Clinton's victory is going to be and he knows that, you know, from having watched the first round of the Clinton presidency and then watched uh, the uh, the Obama presidency that, you know, from everything to like Filegate, Troopergate, uh, Whitewater, uh, up to, you know, Obama, uh, secret Muslim, uh, Barry Sotero, uh, and, and just all this paranoid shit. Like, I think he was acutely aware that he was going to spend the next four to eight years testifying before a dizzying array of committees. I mean, Benghazi alone had 11 separate investigations, every single one of which exonerated Hillary Clinton. But we were going to have another one headed by Jason Chaffetz all through her presidency. So I think he just looked at what was going to happen and he thought, I do not want to get on the wrong side of congressional Republicans. So I'm going to be as super transparent as possible so nobody can say, why did you bury this information? And then, Mm. you know, the wrong guy got elected. And yeah. it, but, you know, if you if you look at it through that lens, I mean, there really isn't any malice there. It's just mainly him being kind of a chicken shit. But and is that even the then sense, it's understandable. Is that the sense you get? Because I know that there's I've, I've heard this like bandied around on MSNBC that there were uh, there was the strong undercurrent of FBI um, right wing fever and Trump supporters in the in the bureau that went presumably up to the top to Comey, which I just I don't believe that any long-running institution that's got the amount of kind of um, power and responsibility and oversight as the FBI. I know it's it's far from being a faultless organization, but I just I can't imagine it being that cheap. Yeah, I mean, so those reports were all about the New York office, um, and right. And and so and even when they were kind of coming out and they were being hyped, everyone was kind of quick to make the distinction that the Washington office was not 
you know, uh, bent in a partisan way that way. And that that influence in the New York office probably had a lot to do with Rudy Giuliani still being really close with those guys. And then, you know, a crude history with the Clintons as well. Um, but I mean, if you look at, at Comey's behavior since, I, you know, I don't see, and apart from the misstatements about, um, Huma Abedin and, uh, and Anthony Weiner's email and the, the, the classifications, the classified emails and just, which seems more to just be a case of a guy not really understanding how a BlackBerry would automatically transfer email files to a computer if you were backing it up. It was a minor or, error. Uh, yeah. Like, if you look at everything else he's done, it's really difficult for, I, I think, if you are a, a, a Democratic supporter in the U.S. to fault his conduct. He's kind of done everything um, the way you would hope he would. Uh, he's not. He was not deferential to, to Trump. He maintained an investigation. He clearly was escalating it. Mm. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of opportunities he had to diffuse this on behalf of the administration or to focus resources back on the Clintons. And he, he wasn't doing that. Um, so, you know, like I think that there was like those stories of the New York office came in a period of real kind of like journalistic and left-wing paranoia where you were getting, I mean, this is concurrent with a lot of like, this is the start of the overt fascist takeover of the U S rather than a perpetuation of the soft fascism that we've all lived with for the last 50 years. <laughs> A real sea change uh, from the implicit to the overt. Um, and well, just, and, and quick, just actually yeah. one one other data point to throw in there, right? Like, so w- as people are going like, okay, the FBI is this, uh, you know, it, 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 silent partner with the Trump administration. They're on the side of authoritarianism. I mean, at the same time, The Intercept, which is by no means pro-authoritarian, um, you know, I don't know if Greenwald, Glenn Greenwald wrote the article himself or somebody else did. The Intercept was running pieces about how the FBI will not cooperate on certain investigations with local law enforcement because they will not share information about how they're targeting white supremacist groups because the FBI is mindful of just how easily white supremacists have infiltrated uh, law enforcement on like the county uh, sheriff's yeah. deputy level and yeah. local uh, local police departments. So like uh, you know, at the same time that you're going, well, look, you know, this is a colluding agency. It's all in for the right wing. But at the same time, we're applauding them for their probity and not enabling uh, the same sort of forces that we see, you know, we see as a conspiracy over here, but the FBI is, is like diametrically opposed to being a part of it over here. And nobody really had a chance to reconcile these, these sort of dissonant um, kind of paranoias or, or dissonant anxieties, because, you know, as soon as you have to start really reckoning with that and trying to, you know, you'd, you'd have the thesis piece and the antithesis piece and, you know, just as somebody might have been building up to write that 5,000 word synthesis analysis, uh, Trump would fire somebody or, you know, launch the mother of all bombs or 59 cruise missiles or just some, you know, baffling shit would happen and we'd all move on. Yeah, that was another thing that I've been thinking about the last couple of days is like, did, did Trump just do this because the news cycle was getting too close to what was actually happening? I mean, it seems like a really insane grenade to lob, but it's kind of like maybe he's run out of stuff to throw well and and this is something that when i talk to people who live in new york they're a little bit less phased by this but this is kind of what he did with new york journalism uh and and in his new york image for 30 years you know he would something bad would happen to him and he'd make some splashy flashy pointless announcement and yeah uh because it was good for selling papers because people would hate read or or admiringly read or just sort of schadenfreude read 
uh, he could always change the conversation. And he doesn't, I, I think a large part of this is he's trying to use this, this kind of um, tabloid real estate playboy playbook that works if you're a, a tabloid real estate playboy in a New York that welcomes the distraction. Um, and he's trying to use it in like the, uh, uh, the one job in the world where you're at the dead center of the panopticon. Um, and like, there's no way to evade that scrutiny. And he just, I don't think he understands that he can't just, uh, you know, throw a smoke bomb and disappear. The pan optagon. Yeah. What, what is that? Uh, it was a, it was a, uh, a, a prison concept, um, from the 19th century where, uh, you, a, a single observer would sit at an elevated position at the dead center of a circular room full of cages so you would not need so many people to mind prisoners wow. and then i think uh if i remember correctly foucault uh relies on the metaphor a lot in foucault or derrida one of them uh, one of those french post-structuralists winds up relying heavily on it and uh, as a metaphor and so like the you know the, the idea of being having kind of like a universal view except he's at the dead center and he's universally viewed and yeah, he doesn't yeah. seem to understand that um, because we have been so long between drinks as well, we're going to uh, really briefly talk about the American Healthcare Act and uh, also maybe a little bit about France. But before we move on from this, I just wanted to mention as well the testimony that we heard from Sally Yates, who was the acting attorney general, and James Clapper, who's the um, former director of national intelligence in the open um, session uh, where they were quizzed by members of the Senate. And, uh, like, if there was something that Trump was trying to distract us from, I think it was the things that came out four days ago or so that Sally Yates was saying. Um, she is testifying as, as, like, a private citizen now, right? She doesn't hold any position any longer. That's correct. But she's still um, abiding by uh, the rules of classification. Yes. So like even though she's out of her job, she's not going like, all bets are off. You know, you want to know who killed JFK, bitches? <laughs> <laughs> and there was just by virtue of the way that she was phrasing stuff, um, it felt like we did get uh, some new information, particularly about Michael Flynn. There was um, a particular phrase that was used about uh, the underlying behavior being problematic. So Sally Yates was describing a situation where she was getting increasingly concerned because people such as the vice president, Mike Pence, were going out to the media and reporting something that she knew was not true. Um, and every time that he doubled down on this fact and talked to another journalist and affirmed this timeline or set of information that she knew was in contradiction from the evidence that she had. She felt that the government was getting more and more compromised potentially by the Russians. And uh, when she was being asked by certain senators about this, um, she said that it wasn't just the fact that Michael Flynn had lied to the VP, um, but it was the underlying behaviour itself that was problematic. And when people were like, okay, what does that mean? That was when she had to say um, that that relates to classified information, so I can't get into that. So mm -hmm. there's, there's shit going on um, with Michael Flynn, which um, I don't think it would be shocking if it came out now in light of the fact that James Comey has been fired, um, who by most accounts was an incredibly well-liked figure at the FBI. And it seems like under this age of Trump, the one reliable countermeasure that has been happening since his inauguration is leaks um, coming from all sorts of places high and low so I think 
that that evidence is is kind of moments away. And I think that the uh, fact that we know that James Comey asked for more funding for the investigation itself is a leak. Like we're not supposed to know that, right? I don't think so. No, I mean because that would that would show up in an audit or like end of the year. Yeah, uh, uh, budget, uh, you know, like sort of th- this is what we do with your public dollars. Uh, but yeah, like if he's asking for this is like just a, you know, help al- help us allocate some resources or pull some people from here that wouldn't be released in the course of an investigation because it indicates that where you're focusing. And if that's not where you should be focusing, then you're giving a, a you know, uh, letting some people know that they're 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 off the hook. Like, kind of you you, you brought up um, Flynn and 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 Sally Yates. Like, a lot of this could have just been about his being paid as uh, by Turkey. And like, she brought up the Russia Today. She brought up uh, his relationship with Russia. But um, you know, like, th- there are other considerations like at play, and there are other compromises here. It's not just Carter Page, Manafort, and uh, and and Trump and Roger Stone and Russia and WikiLeaks like there there are all sorts of other violations of the emoluments clause going on and like selective ignorance so like when when Pence was going around lying about um about uh Flynn like you know, Flynn had written an op-ed in I think the New York Times on election day about the importance of repatriating uh, the, the Gulen the, uh, the 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 Islamic cleric who lives in Pennsylvania who is an opponent of um, Erdogan in Turkey, right? And like they'd been warned ahead of time that he had had contract obligations to to overseas entities. And like when the guy who is your national security advisor is in the op-ed real estate of the most important paper in the nation on fucking election day, like that should send some sort of signal. Yeah, uh, and it didn't. And the fact that it didn't, like, I think that was one of those things that that Yates was pointing up. But like in just in general, there there are going to be multiple. Uh, loci of like attention you know in, in going on here and you don't want to go like hey we're putting all all our eggs on x or y uh, especially if all of these seem like valid viable avenues for investigation which is why you got to let the people do their job which is why this is so important when when people keep getting fired who are um let's leave it there for the FBI stuff I know that we've only got a couple more minutes with you Jeb so we'll take a quick break and then just go over some of this um, healthcare act that's uh, just passed the president and house republicans celebrate the passage with a single vote to spare of a bill to repeal Obamacare today and still must make it through the senate a much harder prospect but late today republicans were bussed down to the white house and gathered in the rose garden cheering president trump and calling today's vote a major victory you're back on politics. The only thing that will exist is a record because in the rubble, only ones and zeros can remain. Uh, Jeb, you're still with us. How are you feeling? Pretty good. I definitely don't feel like I have any illnesses that would preclude my qualifying for health insurance. Oh my God, I what am, a fucking slam well. dunk of a segue. Jesus Christ, you are one hell of a broadcast professional. Um <laughs> I know that we've only got you for a very short while before you've got to get your kid from daycare. Uh, one of the, the joys in life that you can actually hold on to, Jeb, before the government takes it away. Um, but <laughs> the American Healthcare Act was the second go for the Republicans to repeal and replace Obamacare. They failed dramatically on their first uh, go at this, and it was a real um, 
kick in the nuts for the Trump administration who were trying to find some semblance of a policy victory within their first 100 days that they could point to. It's been a little bit sad for me because I've had my head up my own ass doing comedy shows for the last few weeks. So I've been catching up on like different podcasts and articles and things that I've gotten behind on. And I've heard Elizabeth Warren pop up a few times crying about how great it was and what a victory for the American people, the defeat of the um, uh, Trump care uh, proposal was and then it's like listening to it now is quite sad because didn't actually work just slowed the thing down and the way that they've managed to get this through uh, the American Healthcare Act is actually by going even further to the right of the original proposal and fucking over poor people and delivering a huge amount of money to rich people um, which got the so-called Freedom Caucus uh, on board to, to vote it in so it looks like this thing's going to become law now and it looks massively dicey right jeb yeah so you know the 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 democratic talking point is this is a massive tax cut for the top two percent because the the way that obamacare was funded was by taxing the top two percent uh and you know the the actual percentage of, of taxation is you know it's like again kind of when you look at uh if you look at tax rates in the u.s over the 20th century it's a joke um but there are so many like the the way the Freedom Caucus got on board is this, this is basically just as vile as the original one. But there's about a five billion dollar uh, band aid thrown on for high risk pools, uh, which don't work, uh, and the five billion will not cover enough people to make those high risk pools work. But uh, and and it's it's not actually going to paper over any of the uh, the other sort of like negative uh, features of the bill. Namely, um, about eight hundred and eighty billion will be cut uh, from Medicare over the next ten years. And the Republicans don't really seem to grasp the fact that there are plenty of people who aren't like super poor who are on uh, sorry Medicaid uh, that are on Medicaid because it's an assistance program not for uh, retirees but for people with disabilities. So yeah. in in that ha you know that hurts white folks who live in suburbs and a really good example is um uh kids with disabilities so medicaid is what enables them to get to school so if the federal government isn't paying for it states are going to have to raise taxes to cover it uh there are other features that aren't so great block granting money to the states uh which basically says here's the money that you get per year and it's based on this sort of you know this actuarial prediction that if you you know it, it assumes that people will get sick at the exact same rate and that there will be no more or less sick people than the year before who qualify for treatment for the exact same level or cost level of sickness. Uh, the other thing that block grants do and the reason why Republicans like them is they're then uh, at the discretion of states who can say, well, you gave us, let's say, you know, you gave us, mm, you know, like five billion dollars to cover this this year. Well, we think we can do that more efficiently and only use $3 billion for it. And now we have fun money. Yeah. Um, uh, just like it, all sorts of other pr uh, provisions are in there. Like, uh, you know, it, I'm sorry, what were you going to ask? I, I was I just going to say that, that absolutely will happen as well. Like, make no mistake about it. What's going to happen now is in the States, you're going to get very different health care in spite of the fact that you're in the same country just by virtue of what state you're in and what their particular political ideology dictates that people should be covered for because if it, the further to the right of the spectrum you get you get people who genuinely believe it is not the responsibility of the state to provide health care um, and I guess philosophically if you want to believe that that's fine I don't agree with that I think that it's 
one of the few things that the state has an incredible ability to do because there's not a lot of government-run programs where when you scale it up, it gets better. Um, in fact, I'm like not a fan whatsoever of big organizations just as a general rule for this reason. I think they get unwieldy. Um, they they uh, waste a lot of time and money and resources. But one specific economic example you can point to where this is actually something that should be handled on the biggest scale possible is healthcare and insurance. Because as you get more people into the pool, that is a better thing. And by separating them out into their own separate pools, which is what this new past version of Trump Care is going to do, um, mm-hmm. you get all the sick people and put them in one very expensive pool, and you get all the healthy people, and you're able to charge them less. But that's like fundamentally against the whole way that the system of insurance is supposed to work. It's supposed to get everyone in the same pool, so it brings down the average cost so that the most vulnerable people, the incredibly sick, the incredibly poor, who have worse health comes generally anyway, that they mm-hmm. are able to get a few benefits from these rich, healthy people that are also in the pool, who, yes, have to pay slightly more than they would have if they were just in their own separate pool. But it's it's a it's like such a beautiful example of uniting all of the people in that one country or society together to get a shared benefit of it and mm-hmm. by segregating everyone out like it's just it's you could look at this thing in five years and you'll be able to see that it was a terrible idea and that it's actually having really really bad outcomes like i will put money on it yeah and and so this bill also would enable you to charge more uh for sick people and and older people as opposed to charging you know basically setting the 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 actuarial rates right based on regions which is taking into account environment but not individual behavior and this works for republicans because they're they're sort of cultic fealty to the idea of personal responsibility says like hey, well if you got diabetes well, you did that. That's yeah, your fault. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's the the reason why the Jimmy Kimmel clip uh, about his newborn son, uh, you know, took off and did so well. You know, it became this viral sensation because he's talking about his son is born with a pre-existing condition, and under the terms of insurance in the United States um, before Obamacare, uh, he would have been diagnosed with a pre-existing condition right then and there. And so he would have been paying extra for the entire duration of his life to get care that insurance would not cover. Uh, This is the thing like, and I I apologize if I've said this before on this podcast, but for people who aren't in the U.S., like can't really appreciate before Obamacare, you did not have health insurance in the U.S. You might have paid for it. You might have had a contract with an insurer. You did not have health insurance because a contract is binding upon both parties and the insurance companies had this really great thing they could do called rescission. They could rescind your insurance if you started to make a financial demand upon them that one would expect would be commensurate with the fact that you've been paying them monthly fees for, you know, your entire adult life. But they could go, hey, you know, you're too expensive now. The care that you want is going to cost too much. So you can pay for it out of pocket and keep this or we can terminate the contract. Uh, and then if you had those conditions and you had your insurance through your employer and you left your job, you would no longer have your insurance. So then when you went in to apply for new insurance, all the pre-existing conditions that your previous insurer had just bitten the bullet and, and covered would now be assessed against you, which is why so many Americans would stay in extraordinarily shitty jobs. I don't want to be here. I don't want to work here, but I'm going to stay here until I retire because I have health insurance. Fuck, and, that is you know, 40. 
Yeah, it's extraordinarily grim. So, um, but this, you know, this sort of attitude now that like your illness is on you, that works if you're a Republican. It doesn't work if you understand like epidemiology or medicine or anything like that. Um, so, you know, the idea of Obamacare, like you were saying, was to get everybody in these, these pools because we know people are going to get sick. The more people you pool together, the more you spread the risk the more you lower costs for everybody. And then something that we don't do in the United States, even under Obamacare, but you know, New Zealand does, is you use economies of scale to reduce your, your, your cost. You buy, you, you have a public option that is gonna dole out medicine to everybody and you bulk buy medicine. Yeah, and we, from- we actually use, we've got a um, sort of crown corporation called Pharmac, which is a bulk drug buyer. So we kind of use that because we need something that is big enough to be able to take on the big um, pharmaceutical manufacturers and sort of talk at something like the same level as them. If we didn't have that big government organisation, we don't have anything that's big enough to talk to these um, pharmaceutical companies to be able to, to, not, you know, they would bully the hell out of us and we'd be paying a lot higher rates if we didn't have this single united government agency to to discuss these things with them. Um, Jeb, I know right. that you've and got to go and well, get no, your son, so give me your Another final. thing I just want to... Th- I I just want to throw this out there, too. Like, it's not even so much the size of the country, too. Like, a really good example, the United States pays the highest percentage of GDP on healthcare of any country in the world. Pays more than Australia. Australia doesn't have, uh, you know, the same size, uh, you know, population. But it's, like the United States, it's a country strung across an entire continent, which means that it's a lot harder to provide care for people. I mean, this is one of the things that doesn't get reported enough, but you can, you know, you should never forget about the, the, the ACHA you know, the ACHA or whatever, uh, or AHCA, is it's gonna, it is gonna fuck rural Americans more than anybody else. They already pay yeah. higher rates because it's harder for them to access care and they're gonna lose subsidies that make the, that care cheaper. And those guys are all Republicans or like mostly Republicans. So it's actually yeah. the Republican Party deliberately targeting and fucking their, their core constituency. But those rural voters in the U.S. are in the same condition that a lot of, uh, of voters and you know, citizens are in Australia. We've got a, a, a population that is flung across this vast area that are hard to reach. And in spite of that, Australia you know, managed to insure those people from cradle to grave at a substantially lower percentage of GDP. So not only does the American system um, cost more, but it provides worse outcomes. So we're paying more money to leave. You know, there's still 18, 20 million people uninsured with that, even with Obamacare. And then we're going to add 24 to 26 million uninsured if we get rid of Obamacare. And, for, and in exchange for that, we're going to pay more than any other citizenry in the world. I mean, it really is like going up and giving a diamond to somebody in exchange for them kick, kicking you in the dick. Yeah. And just quickly as well, the CBO still haven't scored it, right? The figures haven't come out from the Congressional Budget Office on what the effects of this new revised Trump Care bill will be. No, but it's, I mean, it is unambiguously going to be a catastrophe. It'll be worse than the first version, which was really horrific numbers when that came out. Um, Jeb, thanks very much for sticking around. Go get your boy. I would like to end by saying, France, thank you so much for what you did for the world. Um, I know that just because Marine Le Pen didn't win, it doesn't mean mean that all the problems are fixed. Um, I know that France is a... um, got a lot of social turmoil there going on and some very real problems and I'm sure that we'll talk about that in our forthcoming episodes but it's pretty cool that just in the absolute immediate term we dodged a real fascist bullet there and we've got some weird um, tech loving technocrat who's in charge now it'll be a very interesting direction for the for the country to go in be fun to watch yeah. 
I, I think I speak for all Americans too when I address the uh, the people of France when I say gracias. I'm fascinated that the President of the United States effectively backed Marine Le Pen. I just want to get your take of how Washington saw that and whether or not mm. it's perceived as a mistake this morning to have gone so far and waded so far in uh, to European politics. This is also the President who had been so who had been embraced Le Pen so warmly. Uh, and so clearly, uh, I, I think that this president has tried to draw parallels to Brexit uh, and draw global uh, and political parallels with also Le Pen, but clearly that came to an end yesterday.